And we got about 7% awareness in the first poll. And then a few months later, that was early 2023. And then a few months later, after ChatGPT at least democratized or maybe came out. And after the, the post letter that was heavily in the news, we got about 12%. So that's still a 5% rise in a few months. So I think that the level of public awareness is still relatively low, I think, but the rise is going pretty fast. Welcome to the Regulating AI podcast. Join host Sanjay Puri as he explores the dynamic and developing world of artificial intelligence governance. Each episode features deep dives with global leaders at the forefront of regulating AI responsibly, tackling the challenges using AI can bring about head-on and enabling balance without hindering innovation. Welcome to the Regulating AI podcast. Artificial intelligence AI stands at the forefront of technological evolution. With experts predicting it could add trillions of dollars to our GDP impact healthcare with medical revolutions, personalized education, but it could also negatively impact our workforce and our national security. So how do we regulate it without stifling innovation? Our podcast features insights from various perspectives, industry leaders, government officials, to leaders of advocacy groups. Together, they address pivotal questions that are needed to create practical legislation. I'm very excited to have Otto Barton with us today. He's the founder of the Existential Risk Observatory. I invited him on this show as it is very important to get different perspectives towards framing AI legislation. And I wanted to get a perspective of someone who's very concerned with human extinction by AI. Welcome Otto, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the Regulating AI podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Great. Otto, to begin with, can you give us a brief overview of your think tank's mission and goals and how does it address the existential risks associated with AI? Existential Risk Observatory is committed to reducing human extinction risk by informing the public debate. So we are a small Amsterdam-based nonprofit, and actually this, this approach to, to reduce risk by informing people first, that was surprisingly new when we were founded about three years ago. So this is what we are focusing on and we are writing articles or doing other media appearances such as this one as well. So thanks again for inviting, but also lobbying governments and organizing events, doing some research, but mostly focusing on public outreach to reduce human extinction risks. So Otto, just stepping back, since you're based in Amsterdam, the European Union on December 8th, 2023, reached a political consensus on the EU AI Act. Can you share your thoughts on this? So first of all, the AI Act has been envisaged maybe about six years ago, and this was before the big advance or at least becoming popular of large language models. So mostly this is not really an attempt to rein in large language models or the existential risk stemming from the current frontier AI. So mostly what the EU AI Act is doing is trying to reduce the current harms, I would say, not necessarily future risks, because most of these things are already happening. The current harms by relatively narrow AI. This was at least the story maybe one year ago. And recently, fortunately, the AI Act has also been upgraded a bit to include some measures for large language models as well. And of course, this is very important because this is right now a lot of the AI discussion and, and a lot of the future as well, I think. Okay, so why don't we go from that point to really ask you, what 
specific existential risks do you believe AI poses? And how are they any different from other technological advancements that we've seen in the past 50 years? Yeah, great question. So there are actually multiple AI threat models, as this is called. So ways in which AI could lead to human extinction or existential risk isn't only human extinction, but also some other way to forego future. So this could also be permanent dystopia or an unrecoverable collapse. However, of course, all of these things are things that we should try to stay clear of. And there are certain ways in which AI could cause this. And one way is fairly obvious. If you have a really powerful AI system and there is a bad actor trying explicitly to do something with this, this is an obvious way in which this can lead to a very bad result. This is one of the threat models that people are concerned with. The second one is one that has been proposed by Nick Bostrom and Elias Yudkowsky and other people from this school of thought. And basically the concern is that the AI is very powerful. It has a certain goal that, that we've put into it, but we didn't think this goal through very carefully, or perhaps the, the goal was corrupted in training, but in any case, either because of a social cause or a technical cause, this is not the goal that the AI ends up wanting. It's not exactly what we would want as society in the longer term. And the AI being very powerful is carrying out this goal and could do extremely capably. And if it's very powerful, then we're not anymore in a position to do anything about it. So this could in fact lead to human extinction. For example, if there is a resource conflict, if the AI would need all the resources that, uh, that we need as well to carry out its goal with maximum accuracy, for example, just calculating the amounts of decimals in, in pi, this could be a relatively simple task, but if you try to calculate all the decimals in pi, then you would logically need all the world's resources to end up there. So even a simple goal like this, or predicting the next word, as the current black language models are doing, could still end up in a human extinction. So this is a different threat model. It's similar to the paperclip maximizer thought experiment by Bostrom. There's also a third concern. This is more about application of AI. So if we apply AI in all kinds of important applications, then it could be that at some point we get so steered by AI. So you might say, okay, if of the total cognition in the world deciding where we collectively go. If 99% is AI, then it's probably unrealistic to say that humans still have a big uh, stake in this. And it could be that we go off the rails in just uh, applying AI for many important uh, applications and we don't really think very carefully uh, about where this is this is going in the end. And so this is a third risk model that could also lead to either human extinction or some permanent dystopian state. So you have listed some, obviously, some pretty scary perspectives, three very important ones, Otto. Are you concerned that is a present state or are you looking at potential AGI happening and that could happen? Or are you even saying that at a present state, those current state, we have existential risk or are you projecting in the future? A great question. All of these three risks are only urgent from the point of, of AGI. There is some definitional uncertainty, of course, of when exactly AGI is and what exactly we mean by this. But usually a, a common definition is an AI that can do a wide range of cognitive tasks, at least human level. So if an AI could do that, it could also logically do AI research at a human level. We could end up in a regime of self-improvement. And in fact, in some sense, we're already at a regime of self-improvement because AI is already doing lots of tasks that, that are important for AI research and importance for the work that people are doing on, on creating ever better hardware. 
basically this is becoming urgent from the moment that we have AGI and especially after that, if we have a significantly better than human level AI. It is not something that we have today. However, it is scary that it is very much a trial and error sport developing AI. So we really don't know. I have an engineering background myself. I used to work on wind energy. It's, it's a different field, but I think that many engineers appreciate the amount of trial and error that goes into engineering something. And I is definitely not an exception, but, but very much a case in point that even as an expert, you don't really know what the system is going to do. And we've had quite some surprises already when scaling up current research. We get their training models now and we make them ever bigger, ever more data. And what happens then is that models start doing things that also the engineers and the researchers didn't expect. So it's true that it's not an issue with the AI that we have today, but if we scale it up further, then we don't really know when we hit the point that this will become an issue. And that's, I think, part of what makes it, makes it scary. Otto, just as a follow-on, we talk about AGI. In the past week, there are two very important things that happen on AGI. Sam Altman at Davos said, AGI is going to be sooner than we think. And he said, it's people will have maybe a little bit of an uproar for a day and they'll go back to doing what they were. And then you had Mark Zuckerberg put out uh, a video saying Meta is working on AGI and they're going to open source AGI. Now, it seems that AGI might be much sooner and it could be maybe even a few years away, not decades away. That's the indication we are starting to get. And also that it could be open sourced. What are your thoughts on that, Otto? About timelines, it's important to emphasize, I think, that no one knows for sure. So it, a lot of this is based on vibes, really, to be honest. What those thinking of working on the technology think will be the future. And they don't know either, but, but they, it, it's still important, I think. And of course, this is also being formalized with surveys of AI researchers, what the timelines of those researchers are. And I think it's not weird at this point to think that it's only a few years ahead. Many notable academics, for example, Joe Vint, uh, Stuart Russell, sometimes have similar timelines of just saying perhaps five years. And also those in industry, they do have goals of reaching AGI before the end of this decade. And so I think at least we should be prepared for this event to happen. I don't know whether this is already realistic or that it will take decades or in any case, a longer period. But I think it's a risk that we should manage for sure. Regarding the second part of your question, first of all, I disagree with Sam Altman that if we have proper AGI, that this will be something relatively unimportant. I think it will be extremely important if we have a technology that basically can automate all of our, all of our labor. We've already automated most of our physical labor and we're now also automating pretty much all our mental labor. I think that would be extremely important. If nothing else for the economy, but also yeah, for everything, the military, science, everything else. So I think that if this happens, if we get through AGI, then it is enormous. It's something I think along the lines of defending the fire or agriculture, perhaps the industrial revolution, much bigger than the internet. So this would definitely be big news. I don't know if this is going to happen. Of course, it's also true that if you're Sam Altman, you also want to market your own product as AGI, perhaps at some point, because it is very big. I'm not sure to what extent that plays a role. Open sourcing AGI, I think would be a bad idea because it's extremely powerful. There are definitely safety requirements that you would want this to have. And with open source, it's simply pretty much impossible to my knowledge to put any safety on these models that people cannot remove. 
So I think if we really get that close to AGI, then I do think we should seriously question the idea of open sourcing this. But your open source restriction is only relating to AGI, not to large language models, right? Mostly, yes. To large language models, there are different things at play. So it could be that large language models are an important step to AGI. For example, there has been AutoGPT that was a relatively small program simply using GPT-4, prompting this and trying to do something Agents. automatically. Yes, exactly. An attempt to make large language models agentic. And if this is possible, indeed you can get something like AGI by using large language models and adding something small on top, then making large language models open source would also be dangerous. So I think that if we are sure that there is still a lot of distance between AGI and a large language model, then for existential reasons, I wouldn't necessarily oppose open sourcing this. However, there are also, of course, non-existential concerns. For example, just yeah, misinformation, all kinds of dangerous output that you can get from a large language model. And I think we might also want to control this. So for that reason, it might also be a bad idea to open source it, but that's much less strong position in that sense. Yeah, Otto, isn't the challenge that if you don't open source it, you are basically giving a lot of power to a four or five or six big companies because the cost of the compute power, Mark Zuckerberg basically said last week that they've amassed $20 billion worth of NVIDIA compute power. How many startups do you know that can amass that? So it's going to be five or six companies unless there is the ability to have that kind of innovation. Just moving more to the regulatory issues, how do you think our current regulatory landscape addresses the potential risk for AI? And what changes or improvements would you advocate for? Yeah, great question. So I think currently we're not really addressing this point much, but there are a few hopeful developments. And I would say, so first of all, the, the UAIX, it is including general purpose AI as well, and it limits the number of slops at 10 to the 25th, which is below GPT-4. And on top of that, you get requirements to do evaluations when you're training such an AI. So I do think this is a helpful measure because at this point, there are a few steps in between the large language models that we're training now and AGI. If you have to evaluate those and one of them turns out to be positive, then well, and also if you have to, to report those to a central AI agency, then that is something increasing safety. So that is a good idea. The executive order in the US has a, a similar requirement. So I think this is, this is definitely helpful. But as long as we keep scaling and keep developing AI that's ever better, we will end up at AGI at, at some point, not unlikely. And therefore, the, the existential risk problem hasn't really been solved by this legislation. So there's definitely work to be done. And things that we would think is helpful. Like I said, if you keep developing the technology, then at some point you get to dangerous levels. So because of that, we think that at some point you will likely need to pause unless this whole problem is solved. And at this moment, we're not really in a position to be able to pause. So we do not have a pause button at this point. So I think developing the pause button, that would be extremely good policy. So for example, one question that is still open is actually two large questions, I think, remain and maybe more, but especially two large questions for how to actually implement such a pause button. And one is coordination in between countries. And some people even think that this is impossible, that as the US you can pause, but China will never do that. That's a reason not to, not to pause at any point. And I see this point very much, but I do think there is historical precedence to sign treaties in between countries. Also, when there are large interests at stake. So 
and relatively positive that if there is clear awareness of AI existential risk in both these countries, then you should be able to reach an agreement in between these two. But this is a large political issue will need to be solved. And I think a second large issue is how to actually implement the policy within countries. But at this moment, this is relatively doable. As the US government, you can go to the large companies, which are at this moment a handful, training the AI and saying, okay, we're going to pause this for, for one year. And I, I think this is, this is practically possible in principle, given political will, of course. However, down the roads, you can see that AI hardware is developing and that AI algorithms are developing, making it more and more easy to train a certain level of capability. So you can imagine that down the roads, lots of people can train AI in their basement on cheap equipment. And if this is true, then we don't really know at this point how to implement what practically for a longer period of time if, if this becomes true as well. So I think doing this research basically is finding out what would be necessary to pause for a given time. That's also very important and that's something that, that governments should look into. So you are advocating for some kind of a pause button, but auto, let's just say countries agree, which I find it difficult given the current geopolitical environment that they would agree, but there would be non-state actors also in this mix. I mean, today, AI, this is not like you to build physical nuclear reactors that can be inspected, etc. The speed at which processing power is coming down, Samsung just released a phone which has AI capabilities. You have rabbit a personal AI device and Intel is promising to bring it onto every PC. So my question becomes is, how does one make sure that there's a level playing field for something like this? But also simultaneously, there are a lot of benefits. Yes, I understand the risk. Think about the incredible medical revolution that is happening in medicine and education, etc. So do we pause those also? And what are you advocating for that? Of course, we should try to get as much economic benefits and, and other benefits from AI as possible without running too high risks. This is also really challenging, but it would be great to know where the red lines are. Let's put it like this. If we know where the red lines are, then I think the solution is relatively straightforward that we can go towards the red lines, but stop before them and reach uh, a global treaty that everyone is doing this. This is still challenging, but at least that we know what to do. But of course, one of the big issues is that we don't know where the red lines are. But I do think in principle, we can develop anything before the red lines and of course benefits the economic growth and other benefits that AI can deliver us. And we're already exploring it at this point, but uh, GPT-4 and all the startups that are built on top of this. In principle, of course, this is something good and this is something that we should keep as much as possible. However, I think if there are trade-offs between human extinction and economic growth, then I do think that the human extinction should be priority in this case. I agree. Human survival should definitely be priority. My only concern is when you look at the whole nuclear, which is probably an example of countries coming together in terms of inspections and things like that, and you have the International Atomic Energy Commission, you still see countries like North Korea and Iran, which someone could argue that North Korea already has the nuclear bomb and Iran is pretty close to it. So it really gets hard to sometimes figure this thing out. But Otto, how do you balance the need for AI development with ethical considerations, especially when it comes to potential existential threats? 
I think there is a lot of work that you can do on AI and that doesn't touch on existential threats at all, especially at this moment. A lot can happen in five years. So I'm not against the five-year timeline, but it seems that we are still relatively far from real existential AI. So as long as that's true, then there is lots of development that you can do. So I would really say, okay, let's try to use the technology that we have right now to make our lives better. And I think there's lots of leeway to do that. Even the large language models that we have right now, we can apply them in lots of ways to to increase our quality of life and, and also address the near-term concerns that people have right now with this AI as well. And I think there's lots of opportunity to do that. And actually at this point, the people working on AI capabilities advancement is now in order of maybe 100,000 researchers or something like this, perhaps globally millions if you count all the, the startups that are also popping up. And the amount of people working on existential safety is still in order of hundreds, perhaps 300 or something. So at this moment, we are very much prioritizing the, the economical opportunities that the AI gives. And I think that's definitely important, but I do think that the balance should be more towards safety at this, at this point. That's interesting that millions are working towards economic growth using AI and maybe, as you said, maybe 300 people focusing. It's really heavily outnumbered. So let's talk about the public awareness of what you're talking about. How aware is the general public in your view? I've seen a lot of polls that have been done. How aware are they of the existential risks associated with AI? And do you think what can the public play a role in the whole regulatory process, Otto? Yes, I, I think at this moment, indeed, there are lots of polls and they also get pretty different numbers. We also ran our own poll and we tr really tried hard not to prompt people to say anything, but still ask them about existential risk awareness. And we got about 7% awareness in the first poll. And then a few months later, that was early 2023. And then a few months later, after ChatGPT, at least democratized or maybe came out. And after the, the post letter that was heavily in the news, we got about 12%. So that's still a 5% rise in a few months. So I think that the level of public awareness is still relatively low, I think, but it's the rise and it's going pretty fast. So I do think, especially if you take into account the, the possibility of a tipping point, usually if a new idea gets into the public debates, then at some point it reaches perhaps 20% awareness or something along those lines. After which it's generally rapidly growing towards 80 or 90% and simply adopted by the mainstream. So I think AI existential risk could well go down that path as well. And I think that currently we're still before the tipping point. So currently I think we're still in a situation where we're trying to make policy or we're trying to do something about AI existential risk, but without most people realizing that this is an issue at all, or at least a very big urgent issue. And this is, of course, difficult. But I think when this, this public awareness has increased quite a bit, and I, I think that will happen in the next year or maybe a few years, then it should get progressively easier to implement uh, policy. So I do think even if the public itself would not have any role, but definitely as a policymaker, you're watching these polls as well, of course, and you're also talking to the Uber driver and asking them what they think of AI existential risk. I think this will have an enormous impact and we will be much more careful in the future developing this technology when the AI existential risk awareness levels are increasing. Otto, do you see one of the challenges with what you are doing and let's say the other 300 people is that I can speak about the US that the legislators themselves are not as well versed in AI. We don't expect them to be, and probably the same in EU and other countries. And we are asking them to put guardrails around something that really, they're just coming up to speed. They're 
primarily thinking of economic opportunity, jobs for their constituents, but not as aware of what these existential risks are. Do you see that as a challenge at all, Otto? Yes, definitely. And indeed, I recognize this picture in the Netherlands and in Brussels and in most jurisdictions, this is an issue to a varying extent, but usually. And of course, this is not optimal. So it's definitely a good idea, I think, for anyone in a responsible position, but especially for a politician or a policymaker to read up to the issue and to create your knowledge of AI existential risk and also other AI related things. And I'm sure they're doing this as well. But of course, as nonprofits and as other organizations trying to help these, these policymakers, I think we can do quite a lot there to bridge the, the distance that, that currently exists between leading academics and uh, their insights and, uh, and policy. And so I think that this is a big issue. It's a normal issue. I, I think it, it occurs wherever technology is speeding up and wherever a new issue is entering the political debate. So I'm not surprised and I think it's relatively normal and we can do quite a bit to increase the politician's knowledge of it. And also maybe just added to this, there's also still a lot of work to be done in, in the academic world where also for a lot of universities, AI existential risk is also not exactly on top of their mind yet. So I think it would really help there as well in academia to give this a more prominent position and to start working more on regulation proposals to decrease risk. And if this is done, this will also make it a lot easier to build bridges between policymaking and academia. You make a good point is strong bridges between academia and policymakers. We've had professors and thought leaders from different universities come up for hearings and things of that nature. And we obviously are creating a huge pool of experts towards that can work with policymakers and journalists to educate them. Otto, taking that point, are there past ethics disasters in other technologies that we can learn from to prevent the kind of AI harms that you're talking about that can be referenced, whether it's to policymakers, journalists, etc.? To be honest, I think it's pretty new AI. And what's definitely new about it is that at least some threat models are not trial and error. Of course, what usually happens in developing technology is that one is first developing a technology, then it's out to markets. And then only when it is already in the markets, it becomes clear that it has disadvantages. People are, are advocating to do something about these disadvantages. And then we go into the, the policy make path. So I think this is the normal way in which new technology is, is entering policy making. Um, but at this point with AI, some of these models are really already occurring in the lab. So even if it's not marketed at all, but just, or even during training, it can already reach existential capacity. So I think this is very challenging because it really requires trial and error policymaking. So I think this is relatively new and it hasn't really been, been done much. And I think it presents challenges for policymakers to make sure that you're ahead of the curve, really. And of course, there will be a societal debate and there will be you know, profits and academics trying to help them there. So I don't think that policymakers should, would need to do this all by themselves. But I do think that people will need to learn to act in a non-trial and error way, but before something is actually developed even. Yeah, this is difficult. But were there other, not AI, but were there other ethics issues in different other technologies that we could learn from for AI? Were there any other ethics disasters that you think can serve as a, so to speak, guiding light for us, in your view? In general, there were many ethics issues when new technologies were developed. 
I'm not sure if there are direct lessons to learn that, that we can directly apply for AI, but there's definitely history is, is full of technology developments, of course, and also full of people warning for technology issues that were either right or wrong. So it's definitely uh, fascinating to, to read about those. But I wouldn't directly draw parallels in between technologies that were still basically trial and error and uh, what, we, what we're having now with AI, because I don't think the situation is different this time. So... Then how important do you feel is transparency in AI development and what measures would you recommend be taken to ensure accountability for the risks associated with these systems that you're concerned about? And I think openness is, is very important. And I think especially the labs developing uh, the AI systems should definitely meet high levels of openness and transparency requirements. So first of all, of course, the, the risk of AI extinction itself should be communicated to the public. And actually, this is something that OpenAI and other leading labs have done relatively well, I think. They've also signed the declaration by Center for AI Safety that was released last year. And I think we should give them credit for communicating extinction risk to the public. But I also think that, for example, their alignment plans are still outside of the public debate at this point. So basically, what many labs are trying to do, they don't really want to pause AI for a longer time, but they want to keep on developing and increase the capabilities basically until where they can. But what they're planning to do is aligning the AI to our values. So to make sure that this AI is doing exactly what we want to do. However, I think that this plan basically to not stop development, but just build AI ever more capable, even until takeoff capabilities and beyond, but making sure that it's aligned to what humanity wants. I think this plan doesn't really have the role in the societal debate that it should have yet. I think we should discuss this a lot more. So I also think that the companies developing AI should be open with their plans to align it, but also the whole concept of, okay, we're going to develop a super intelligence here with takeoff capabilities. I think this is not generally discussed in the societal debate, and they are planning to do this officially and in practice. I think this is something where we can have more openness. Also, I think they should definitely be open towards governments in the sense that where are we with capabilities and if an evaluation, for example, is actually turning red. So one of the policy proposals that people are now drafting for AI companies are AI evaluations. These evaluations are testing the capabilities levels, but also the misalignment levels. So how capable are these models and to what extent do they want to do something that, that we didn't ask of them? I think this is important work, but we also want to make sure that once this evaluation is actually turning red, and indeed this model is becoming too capable or too misaligned or both, then we should make sure that governments know about this. And I think it should also be communicated to the people uh, in general. So uh, I think transparency on the part of the AI labs is, and also on part of governments is very important, yes. Would you recommend an international body like the International Atomic Energy Commission or something like that overseeing some these kinds of, as you said, the red lights. What are what is your suggestion? Looking to make the most out of AI advancements and innovation? Visit regulatingai.org to learn more about how best to optimize the use and integration of AI and sign up for the Regulating AI newsletter to keep up to date with the latest in AI governance and regulation. Yeah, I think that's definitely helpful. So at this moment, there isn't really an AI oversight body on a global level, though the UN has employed some initiatives already, but it would be very helpful to uh, to have something like this. And I think in any case, we should reach agreement on where the red lines are, how these evils are implemented so that everyone knows until which point they, they can develop and what kind of uh, safety measures they, they need to adhere to. 
And I'm a fan of the, the Bletchley process. At Bletchley Park last year, there was a, an AI safety summit with heads of state, but also a number of other ministerial level representatives. I think it was one of the few moments where a Chinese representative and the US representatives actually agreed on, on anything. So I think that's relatively hopeful that they were able to, to do this. And I, this is also a process now. So every six months, there's going to be a global AI safety summit. And this is a perfect place, I think, to agree on these red lines and on the, the AI safety institutes that okay, the US and Japan has set up now, but I think more countries are probably going to do this. I think that's a great way to, to streamline these processes. And yes, I think a, a global AI safety institute would also be a great idea, yes. And you are for engaging the Chinese in setting some of these safety standards? Yes, I think so. This is also actually a point that we made in a Time article advocating for the pause that we released a bit before the AI safety summit was set up. And I think the Chinese are, of course, developing AI as, as well and are not super far behind the US, I think. So if they're not included in what's supposed to be a global uh, attempt to mitigate those risks, um, then I think it's, it's not meaningless, but it, it's much less impactful. So I think the, the major players will just need to be involved there. And so I think it's great and, and brave decision as well from the UK to include the Chinese as well in this, in this summit. And not every MP, I think, agreed to this, but I think it's a good decision. So I'm happy that I did so. Great. Otto, final question for you. When you look to the future, what trends or developments do you anticipate in the field of regulating AI? And how should stakeholders prepare for the future? What are you visualizing that regulators can also think about and look for? What would be your final word to our audience, which is made up of, in many cases, members of Congress, their staff, people in the EU and other places? Yes, what we will see, so it's difficult to know in which direction AI uh, technological development is, is proceeding, but I, I do think this is leading. What I've seen the last years is that, that usually the AI capability is growing. After this, academics get worried by AI existential risk concerns, and after this, the, the public is following, and then lastly, regulation is, is unfolding. So I, I think this may well develop. I, I can imagine that if the AI capability is growing further, we, we don't really know whether this is going to plateau or whether it's going to grow exponentially, but it's definitely a possibility with all the, the investments that we see now, that AI capability will continue to grow perhaps all the way to, towards AGI uh, at some point. So if this is happening, I think what we can expect is more and more academics becoming worried about this because interestingly. I think that basically whether AI is an existential risk or not should be a separate question from what are your timelines. Um, but this is not how it practically plays out. Usually people are already actually latently concerned about AI existential risk, but have long timelines, so they don't really speak out. So I think when we see the timeline shortening, a lot more people will speak out about AI existential risk and a lot more public concern about this will surface as well. So I think that regulators should they should prepare themselves for this point and they should prepare themselves for a world where the AI capability is actually increasing fast, public awareness is growing fast and public concern about this is growing fast. And then perhaps in a short period of time, something will need to be done. And for that moment, I think it would be great if we have already policies, at least on paper somewhere and research that exists so that we know how to actually implement the pause and that we know what our plan is for either aligning or maybe pausing for a longer time or, yeah basically our, our plan for us at this moment. So I think actually perhaps most of the work should be done still by, by researchers to make sure that we have these plans. 
But I think politicians, yeah, they should be ready for this moment and they should also support this research. I think that's also very important. The last one or two decades, there has been some research about AI existential risk. I think it's also important that we get politically funded research. There is an AI safety institute now in the US uh, set up, but to the last of my knowledge, it's not really funded yet. And so I think it would be great if this is something that, that politicians are doing, because I think public a safety research preparing is us for this moment when we do see that AI capabilities are going to AGI. Uh, super important. You put a lot of points in there, but I think the key points you're saying is academics need to step up as the timelines get shorter. The politicians need to be aware of it and research and other stuff needs to prepare for what could possibly happen. And maybe the governments need to fund some of these safety institutes that are set up to provide the feedback, Otto. Some very important points you made, Otto. Really, thank you so much for coming because we value all kinds of perspectives, inputs, opinions, and yours is as important as everybody else. And it gets fed into our audience around the world. So thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Thanks a lot for inviting. And it was my pleasure. I, I hope that I did something useful for indeed for your audience. And I hope that we can prepare uh, much better for the events of AGI and reduce AI existential risk than we're doing so far. So thanks a lot for inviting. One last thing I'll say is because our audiences, as I said, you and I use the term AGI very colloquially, and I made a mistake. Tell our audience what your definition, very short, brief definition of AGI is so that uh, we leave on that note. Yeah, so I would say AGI or artificial general intelligence means an AI that can do a broad range of tasks, at least at uh, a human level. Great. I think that's a very short and great description for us, Otto. Thank you again for being on our podcast and hopefully we'll have you again on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Regulating AI Innovate Responsibly podcast. You'll find links in the show notes to any resources mentioned on the show. If you're enjoying our podcast, please subscribe so you'll never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review.